What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling Delicious Podcast here, and welcome to episode 146 of the Young Lions Presentative. So glad to have you guys here with me on this Thursday evening. I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast, and as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. So AEW had their winter finale last night. Supposed to be this commercial free event. But I have to be honest with y'all. AEW's big winter finale. Commercial free. I have a strange feeling that they dropped the ball last night. Especially competing with what NXT had to bring to the table with two huge title matches in Adam Cole versus Finn Balor for the NXT Championship and Rhea Ripley versus Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's title that made evented um, last night. AEW brought some good things to the table. They had the Tag Team Championship match between SCU and the Young Bucks. They had the Lucha Brothers taking on Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. And they also had, see, the number one contenders match for to become uh, to face Rio in two weeks' time and compete for the AEW Women's World Championship in Jacksonville. We also had the Darby Allen and Cody versus the Butcher and the Blade tag match, and that's all well and good. And of course, the Chris Jericho versus Jungle Boy ten minute challenge match as well. There's a there, there was some good that came out of this, but. From what I have, I saw, read, looked at, seen. There's a reason why NXT, and I just found this out, won by a hundred thousand viewers this week. They pretty much what was it seven fifty eight to six thirty eight, if I'm not mistaken. I could be off on the on a, of the numbers, so forgive me on that. But there's a reason why NXT won the week, and we'll discuss all of that tomorrow for Love Hate AEW. But it seemed a bit underwhelming to me. But that's not the portion segment of the program that we're going to discuss that, and we'll discuss that in the next segment with what I hated about AEW Dynamite last night. So let's stay on a positive note and talk about what what, what I loved about last night and the main I think the biggest thing that came out of this was Jungle Boy and Chris Jericho's 10 minute challenge match Jungle Boy is now one of the most over talents in AEW right now and I I think it's a credit to Chris Jericho how much he has really really put in the effort to get certain guys over ever since he became AEW world champion back in August going into Dynamite the, the, the main thing was what were they going to do with Chris Jericho in terms of contenders who was he going to face for the AEW World Championship and we found out we got Cody for at full gear and that was a really good matchup and now the main now one of the main focuses is on Moxley and what they're going to be possibly doing at AEW Revolution on February 29th Chris Jericho has done so much so far as AEW World Champion on getting certain talent over that it's that we can't deny what this man has done. 
And I can appreciate that. I can appreciate what they, what he has done for AEW. And I, I believe I've read a tweet that, you know, said that Chris Jericho had a meeting with the entire crew backstage. And, you know, I, I really didn't get into um, what was said during said meeting. And we can get into semantics all about all that we want. But the fact that, you know, Chris Jericho put it, took it upon himself to actually, you know, take that on his shoulders and want certain talent to get over guys like Darby Allen, you know, guys like jungle boy, you know, and get, and have that and have them, you know, resonate with the fans and all that good stuff. That is probably the biggest thing I took away from last night's episode. Now, when we come back to EW dynamite in two weeks time, It's going to be interesting to see how the whole dynamic of Moxley and Jericho begins its next chapter. Because the entire time with Jericho, his his focus has been trying to get Moxley into the inner circle and keep Moxley away from becoming the top. Well, he is at the very moment the number one contender for the AEW World Championship. But trying to have Moxley as an ally instead of an enemy has been his biggest focus. Because, you know, we're trying to convince Moxley, hey, we're better together than we are as enemies. So when we come back in two weeks time, we're going to see what A, Moxley is going to do and B, how will Chris Jericho respond to what Moxley says and does. That's going to be the biggest key going forward. And like I said, it's a credit to Chris Jericho for being willing to put certain guys over. Darby Allen and Jungle Boy are the two that immediately come to my mind. Um, ever since, even going back, you know, to Double or Nothing, when he and Omega had that banger of a match uh, to determine who would uh, be part of the AEW World Championship match to go against the winner of the um, Double or Nothing Battle Royal. That was the biggest thing coming out of that, is that a lot of people were thinking Omega was going to be the one to go over, but with Hangman then winning, Chris Jericho then became that guy, and a lot of people were thinking maybe it was Hangman's time to become AEW World Champion. I knew for a fact that Chris Jericho was going to be that AEW World Champion. I knew for a fact that it was going to happen. I think, it, like I said, prestige holds weight. Name value holds weight. And you're looking at Chris Jericho now doing what has been necessary to get these talents over and I think it's a we, sh- we should appreciate what Jericho has done for AEW in that respect what happened with the 10 minute challenge was was fun it was a fun matchup um showing the resolve of Jungle Boy especially in the last two minutes of the matchup um Chris Jericho had him in the walls of Jericho for over a minute and a half and Jungle Boy survived through the entire ordeal not tapping out not passing out or anything like that and the crowd was eating it all up in Corpus Christi, Texas. They were eating up with a damn spoon, and it. it we should come. We should be commending um, Jericho for doing that. And of course, what happened after the match? You know, it went to a time limit draw. Jericho thought he won. Um, Aubrey Edwards pretty much telling him, "Nope, you didn't win." It went to the ten minutes, and. Then Jericho, of course, asked for five more minutes. The bell rang. Jungle Boy went for two pin attempts in succession. Um, Jericho kicking out at two. And Jericho then having his temper tantrum. And 
then leaving the arena, cutting his promo, um, pretty much going after, you know, shitting on Tony Schiavone, you know, and then going into his promo talking about Moxley. Now the focus will be on Jericho and Moxley going forward. That's going to be the big focus that we're going to key in on. That's going to be our top storyline going into 2020 as we head towards AEW Revolution in February. The tag matches we got last night. Darby Allen and Cody versus The Butcher and The Blade. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega versus The Lucha Bros. And SoCal Uncensored versus The Young Bucks. Although, I'm sure a good amount of people will think, man, they were very tag team heavy last night. What came out of these tag matches, I think, is what is going to be focused on most. Now, a lot of things with the Lucha Bros, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page match, I saw two big things come out of this. Hangman Page is a... The, the eventual result of what's been going on with Hangman Page is going to be a Page heel turn. You, we noticed it last week um, with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. When I believe they were taking on the best, if I'm not mistaken, they were taking on the best friends. Or I believe someone else, I forget. Page gets the tag at the last minute. Buckshot Lariat, one, two, three. Page and Omega win. Now, Omega pretty much was like, all right, you know, I was, I was on a roll. Page gets uh, Page gets that tag. We got the W nonetheless. It is what it is. Now, with this, we saw, we saw the ending of the matchup with the Lucha Bros defeating Page and Omega. Page gets dumped on the outside. Omega gets hit with the uh, package power driver from Pentagon Jr. with the assist by Ray Phoenix. After the match immediately, Page and Omega kind of had a little bit of a war of words. And it looked as if these two were going to scrap. We then panned to Pac in the back, pretty much talking to Omega, not, you know, being refused to answer by Omega, for a third matchup between he and Pac. Pac then went after Michael Nakazawa. We know that for a fact. Omega then runs into the back and goes after Pac. Now, I believe the Lucha Bros attack Omega again. And then Paige comes, you know, Paige was right there with Omega, looking for Pac, trying to get, you know, prevent Pac from going after Michael Nakazawa, which is Kenny Omega's best friend. Pac then, you know, it was nowhere to be seen right after this. So, Pac Omega is inevitable, I think, at this point. I think AEW Revolution would be the the, the the grounds for this match. I think that we complete this trilogy at AEW Revolution. Lucha Bros gain a victory. That's, you know, always a good thing for the Lucha Bros maintaining their status as a top five tag team in AEW. But now we look at two big things that came out of that was Page's eventual heel turn and Omega and Pac 3. That's what we have to look forward to. With Darby Allen and Cody versus The Butcher and The Blade, there is bag that came out of this matchup. It's a nitpick, but we'll discuss that in the next segment. 
as far as the positive side goes, Darby Allen and Cody getting the victory is a good positive because I think a lot of people, I did see some people on Twitter poo-poo the fact that the Butcher and the Blade lost so soon, second match in, but the storyline of Darby Allen and Cody and their eventual rematch against each other, knowing that the first match at Fighter Fest ended in a 20-minute draw, this was going to happen eventually. It was just a matter of if. Actually, no, it was a matter of when. My apologies. So that could, that's a match we can be expecting going forward in 2020. Another match we get to focus on. Eventually, Cody and MJF are going to go at it. Guaranteed when MJF makes his uh, states his grounds for what he wants with Cody that's par for the course we know AEW Revolution they're probably going to face each other but I think sometime between January 1st and uh, AEW Revolution Allen and Cody will face each other one on one again who will win I don't know at this very moment I'm leaning kind of towards Cody so we can get some momentum going into MJ uh, his match with M- eventual match with MJF but I could also lean towards Allen with MJF screwing over Cody allowing Allen to get the victory and get a huge victory over Cody, helping him bolster his career and get into uh, eventual title contention, which is always a good thing in and of itself. So that's from that side. With the Butcher and the Blade, they put in another good performance, a very wonderful performance. I'm beginning to warm up to the Butcher and the Blade. I like the look. I like how they get down in the ring. I like their move sets. Would I have wanted them to win? Possibly. I think it would have been interesting, but I think with what Darby and Cody need to complete, and with this, Darby and Cody needed to win this matchup. I know a lot of people I saw on Twitter were not happy with the result. They did. I did see a lot of, you know, Butcher and Blade putting a really darn good match. Bunny had a good performance on this. Allie did her job with that. She did what she had to do. And... Andy Williams and Braxton Sutter put in a great performance. Um, as MGF's henchmen, it's definitely going to be something they want to do going forward. I think these two will be featured highly uh, going forward as they are now part of MGF's collective. So that's going to be a very fun thing to see going forward with the Butcher and the Blade, how they will incorporate with MJF. Um, would they be involved? Would there be a six-man tag? There's so many possibilities that you can have with the Butcher and the Blade and MJF as we go into AEW Revolution season. So that's going to be a fun thing to watch with these two, and I'm really curious to see how they continue to perform after this loss going forward. As far as the World Tag Team title match went, it was good. Um, The right team won, I think, in my eyes. SCU winning um, the tag titles was a smart call. The Young Bucks winning would have been a case of too much too soon for a lot of us i would have i mean a lot of people would love to see the young bucks um eventually win the aew world tag team titles but i think right now scu retaining the titles was the right call and something that i'd like to see going forward and it's gonna be fun to see who is that team that is going to take them out and dethrone scu going forward with the Dark Order that came, Dark Order came out after the matchup, attacking SCU, the Young Bucks, uh, Dustin Rhodes. I think Cody came out. 
going after the creepers of the Dark Order. It's going to, I think, and there's a lot of bad that came out of it too. We'll, like I said, we'll discuss all that in the next segment. But I think now Dark Order is now finally getting their shine. They're finally getting their moment in the sun. They're finally starting to become a major player in the tag team division. I think going forward, um, the Dark Order as a tag team and their place, you know, in terms of the hierarchy of AEW's tag team division is going to be something we have to look out for. That's a big positive in and of itself. Would I want to see Dark Order take the titles? Eventually, I do. But they're going to have, but that's why, like I said, in the next segment, we'll talk about how much work they're going to have to do to convince me and a lot of other people that Dark Order is the team that is going to dethrone SCU. The final piece of this, and like I said, this is this is just a bit of good. Like I said, this is an underwhelming show for a what they call a winner finale. Chris Statlander becoming the number one contender for the AEW Women's World Championship, I think, was the right call. And now we're gonna see how this all correlates with her going uh, going up against the Nightmare Collective um, of Brandy Rhodes, of Awesome Kong, and now Melanie Cruz. This is going to be the most interesting thing, one of the top storylines for AEW's women's division. You know, Statlander refused to join the Nightmare Collective, the, you know, and... It's something that a lot of people should keep focus on. Statlander literally came out of nowhere, defeated Shikaru Shida, who at the time was number one contender for the AEW Women's World Championship. Shida fell down in the rankings. I think she was in three. She then beats... She had her second match against B. Priestley, won that to maintain her status. Then, I think at this point, was not denied a shot at the to become the more contender for the women's world title and defeating Brick Baker in was a good match you know solidifies her place now to go up against Rio I don't think she'll win the championship I think her and the Nightmare Collective is going to be that storyline going forward and I'm sure the Nightmare Collective will fight, try to figure out some way to screw Statlander over for not joining the Nightmare Collective in which in which case you know boom you have a solid storyline for your women's division going into 2020. That's a storyline we can keep focus on there going forward and how they actually will figure this out. In terms of Britt Baker, I think I think this is what I see with Britt Baker. I think they're biding their time with Britt Baker. I think once they get past Statlander, there has really been no one else to really be recognized as a true top contender. Emi Sakura, not even close. Hikaru Shida, I don't know yet. Um, Big Swole, still not even at the top five, which is kind of surprising to me, but again, I digress. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But Statlander Rio is going to be a really fun match to watch. I think these two can really put out a match that is worthy of a Women's World Championship match. Um... With title matches, you have to hold them in high regard regardless. It's something I thoroughly will enjoy. It's something I think can really hold weight. 
these two, I think, can really put make some magic happen. But it all depends on how they're going to go about the match in and of itself. Statler, Statlander came literally out of nowhere. Literally out of nowhere. Shot and got the jetpack to the top of the women's division. Again, in terms of tears, I have nothing yet. Still, I mean, it's shocking to me as well to see how they go about with Statlander. Like I said, you have the Nightmare Collective storyline now. You have that going. That's going to be something we will focus on in 2020. Will there be a uh, match with her and some form of the Nightmare Collective? Possibly. Especially that Sadie Gibbs came out after Brandy Rhodes attacked Statlander. Maybe Sadie Gibbs now is going to get a bit of shine. Her and Statlander will team up. Maybe go up against, you know, Kong and Melanie Cruz. Something in that sort of form. Maybe that may happen during January. I'm not exactly sure. But this, this, we now have something to sink our teeth into in terms of storylines for a for the women's division. Um, now we have the focus on Sadie Gibbs. Now I think they may feature her a bit more, which is always a win. Um, we'll now get to see how Melanie Cruz works in AEW. That's a win. Kong had a little bit of a quick match against Miranda Alize. That sounds like a weird, more doctored up, liquored version of a Shirley Temple. But when you see that, and it's like I've said, if you even have as much as a bit of a storyline, I think this helps the women's division. You have something to go on. Now you have two. You have Statlander now against the Nightmare Collective. And now you have Statlander now going to, in two weeks' time, face Rio for the AEW Women's World Championship. This is going to be something to look forward to. And I can really enjoy i think like i said these two i think can really put on a good match for the AEW women's world championship and now finally we get to see rio back into the swing of things they featured they showed her for a little bit last night after statlander got the victory over Britt baker so rio definitely it's the fact that they showed her in attendance to scout the match always a smart detail i always appreciate that kind of detail um, I would have liked to see a little bit more of Rio, just like, you know, watching the match going forward, just featuring her real quick. But they, with that, they did what they had to do with that. It worked. It hit different. It was solid. All in all, this could be looked at as a decent episode for AEW Dynamite. As far as a winter, uh, a winter finale goes... After what I have seen so far from beginning back in October to now, a majority of their episodes have really gave I've given thumbs up on. I've been very pleased with AEW so far. So they can definitely get a very high grade from me if I decided to give one. I'm not going to. But with what they have brought to the table so far for the last two months, AEW has had a lot of positives, but also have not as much negatives, but they are big negatives. You know, now October, they hit it. They hit the ground running and absolutely murdered the entire month of October. That's a given. They murdered that. The first, literally the first six weeks was can't miss television. And for that, I can be proud of. Um, at that point, the honeymoon feuds was going to end right after full gear. And I, and I said it back in November. It is what they do after the pay-per-view that is going to matter most at this now 
second half. Now that now what I call before full gear, BFG before full gear, on point. They had they were hitting on all cylinders. A, a lot a couple of negatives back then, but nothing to the point where I was you know starting to scratch my head on some things. AFG after full gear. The honeymoon phase was officially over. Now they had to. Now they had, with no pay per view going on until we found out last week. I believe last week or the week before that, with AEW Revolution on going on in February. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. This is kind of now we're at a crossroads. Is this, does AEW is AEW willing to take that next step? And going into 2020, are they going to be mentally prepared, especially now that they have? the next week off no show this no show so unfortunately no show for me um next week due to the fact that you know there's not really gonna be an episode of AEW. so we're gonna kind of take it easy but we'll talk about that come this monday when we talk about the news of the weekend i'll discuss my schedule with y'all in terms of what shows will be taken care of will i do anything um with that we'll discuss that when we get to monday so you i'll give you a little teaser for that what we will be expecting going forward We have seen what thirteen episodes, I think, like eleven or twelve episodes of AEW, and I can easily say only three of those episodes missed the mark. This was one of those three. Like I said, there was a lot of a good amount of a good amount of good that came out of this, but those those episodes kind of hurt them a little bit now with the ratings wise they even with the other two episodes that somehow beat nxt's episodes there was there was a good amount of stuff now we go back a couple weeks ago and they and what i considered their worst show at that point there was no other way to go but up I hope for my money. When we get to revolution come February, they are hitting on all cylinders again. They have literally 13 days until the first episode of the new year. AEW then now will then begin their two month stretch going into revolution. The biggest question for AEW once they once they get back to the swing of things on January 1st can they beginning on January 1st begin their next chapter on a positive note can they have their top storylines in order start working on the women's division focus on the tag team division in a proper manner Focus on their mid-card and make that relevant. Continuing to be that foundation for the main event scene. Can they do it? I, The optimist in me says yes. We've seen what they are capable of. All of us have seen what they are capable of when they put their best foot forward. We saw it the first six weeks of AEW. All the way up to full gear weekend. They hit on every cylinder. 
on every facet of the game, they hit wonderfully. They did their job. They did exactly what they needed to do. I think now that we've gotten past the honeymoon period and we've seen them fail a few times, I think now and come January 1st, 2020, they are going to bring everything they can to that table. They know they lost in the ratings this week. That's not going to be denied. They lost by 100,000 viewers. You, this, this one we cannot blame on, on the impeachment proceedings. AEW got beat. They took, I'm, I'm sure they know they took that out. And I hope they take it to heart. Because January 1st, I'm going to be anticipating a very, very jam-packed show filled with storylines they are building towards because now the Built Towards Revolution is on come January 1st 8pm on TNT because if they don't and they they start off on the wrong foot the road to AEW Revolution may be not just a confusing one but a long arduous process that I don't think many people will be willing to hold on to I'm willing to. I'm willing to give them that benefit of the doubt because I know we know what they're capable of. It's just a matter of will AEW remember what they are capable of? Will they hearken back to that spirit of the first six weeks, six to eight weeks of AEW? Will they hearken back to that or will they let it slip? That's the key we have to keep in mind. That's the optimist. I know they can. I know they should. I know they will. It's just on what level will we get AEW Dynamite come 2020? Do we get that? And, I, and it feels like, and it feels two months ago, it feels like two years to me. But can they hearken back to that spirit or will they let it slip? But that, ladies and gentlemen, was what I loved about AEW Dynamite this week. What we're going to do here, of course, y'all know we're going to take a nice little comfortable break. Get everything sorted out. Get, get yourself a nice little beverage. Get yourself a snack. And hear from our sponsor, of course. When we come back, we're going to talk about what I hated about AEW Dynamite this week. And there were a lot of head scratchers. There were. And big head scratchers. So again, we're going to listen from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about AEW Dynamite, the hate portion of the program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 146 of the Young Lions Perspective. And I do want to correct myself on the ratings and the viewership for AEW and NXT from last night. AEW actually had 683,000 viewers as opposed to NXT 795. So for that, I do apologize. And that is actually the correct number as I looked over it. Uh, while I was taking a quick break and just checking everything out before I got into this segment. So it is literally 795 to 683 in terms of thousands of viewers, and NXT still won the week. Now with that out of the way, let's discuss what I hated about this week's AEW Dynamite. Like I said from 
the beginning of the episode. This was a very underwhelming winter finale, and it definitely left me with a lot of questions, more questions than answers that were given. The Dark Order, I think, is the biggest one that was the biggest head-scratcher for me. At the end of that, they just came out of nowhere, had the Creepers attack SCU and the Young Bucks, and when it was found out that the Beaver Boys, Alex Reynolds and John Silver, were had their masks taken off, they pretty much destroyed any person that was involved in this. Now, the funny thing about what had happened with the Dark Order, it was the most confusing one uh, of all of the of all the things that happened last night. So, I'm just going to get to this point. Let me see here. Do, do, do. Because you had all four men getting attacked. You then had pretty much uh, Kenny Omega come out. He got destroyed. Um, the Rhodes brothers, Cody and Dustin, SCU and the Young Bucks, We now know that Reynolds and Silver are now the top members of the Creeper Horde. And that's all well and good. Okay. So now, are we going to see the Beaver Boys now get some focus going into 2019? Are the Dark Order going to be that top heel tag team going forward? Because, and this is and this is my gripe that I had kind of last week with this, but it was more so along the lines of they waited a bit longer than they needed to, if anything. What kind of confused me is, you know, why wait this long to finally get the ball rolling on the dark order? Did they not want to pull the trigger too soon? Did they not want to, you know, have this thrown out just yet? Did they just want to kind of bide their time with the dark order? Um, either way, you know, it's a little confusing for me to see what they're going to do with the dark order going forward. I mean, do I want to see them as the top heel team in the division? They have the capability of doing so. And that would be a huge, huge get for them uh, to actually do this. I mean, it would be really, really nice to see them as a top tag team um, in terms of the heel side of things for... AEW because I still think they need that heel top heel team right now. That's going to be their biggest get. Um, if they can have the 
Dark Order become the top heel team that we all know they can be. So we'll see what happens. Um, this is a really huge gripe for me, though. That you know, I think that's that's probably the big thing about this is that you know they don't really have many heel. They have heel tag teams. They do have you know Lucha Bros. They do have you know. Hybrid 2, but that's not really, you know, hitting the way it's supposed to and all that. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, the Dark Order going forward. But they kind of, it's not a sense of too little too late. It's more along the lines of, you know, why wait until now type deal, if you get what I'm saying on that aspect of it. Again with the women's division. Yes, we have Statlander Rio lined up for in two weeks. We have it lined up. That's all well and good. I dig it. I'm cool with it. I'm fine with it. That's, that's okay. But still, there's there's that. And now with the Statlander Nightmare Collective, you have a storyline with that. All well and good. I still would like to see a bit more developing with these ladies. It seems like they're just doing one at a time. And that kind of concerns me now. With AEW Dark, they've been having multiple women's matches. All well and good. Fantastic. But once you but I kind of need that secondary. I need that tertiary few. I need that. I kind of need more development of the division so you can develop your contenders. For the longest time, we've been, we've seen Sheeta, Statlander. Now we've seen Statlander, Sakura, Nyla Rose, Britt Baker. I haven't really seen much fluctuation of the rankings in terms of Big Swole. She's not in it by my last account. She's not in the top five. Um, you know, I, you know, Ali I think was in the top five until she got ousted. Now that she's uh, focusing more so on the Butcher and the Blade. I'm curious to see what are they going that and that's the biggest big probably the biggest thing for the women's division in 2020. Can they develop more than just one storyline? And can they have can they actually focus on multiple storylines within the women's division? At in a sense you could say they do have two going on, but it's kind of one in two turn into one. With Rio and Chris Statlander and the Nightmare Collective versus Statlander, you can pretty much say this is just one big ordeal. Rio just happens to be caught in the ball, caught in it because she is defending her championship against Chris Statlander in two weeks' time. But again, it goes back to I need more from the women's division. I need to see more variety in the women's division. I would like to see more than just one women's match on AEW Dynamite. I need more. I need a little bit more than what we've been seeing. I would like to see more. I would like to see a Sadie Gibbs. I would like to see a Beat Priestley on there. I would like to see a Mercedes Martinez. You know, I would like to see the rest of the division actually be in in on AEW Dynamite. Now, I can understand from the perspective of them finishing out their dates before they actually begin joining the collective, but 
there you do have a good amount of women that are in your division that we haven't really seen. That's something that needs to be addressed. With, and, and, and I'm gonna have to compare it to NXT again. You know, your two big storylines that you had. You have Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler. That was your main storyline, headlining the women's championship matchups. But you also have the Dakota Kai deal with Mia Yim at the moment. And now, and then leading further down the line with Tegan Knox. You have those two right now. At least you have two, you know, two storylines that are hitting on all cylinders. And don't think for one second, Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler is over. We'll discuss that tomorrow, though. That's always going to be a big bugaboo for me. And now, what do you do with Britt Baker? Does she fall out of the rankings? Does she fall back a couple steps? What about Okara Shida? I haven't seen her in a ring, I think, since Statlander and Shida. I would like to see more than just one women's match on a two-hour episode of AEW Dynamite. You know, in order for a division to have, you know, to be looked at as a positive thing on your roster, you need to feature just more than one, two, maybe three people, you know, in terms of contenders and storyline options. Statlander Brady Rhodes is now the biggest women's division storyline we have going on right now. You know, what about Rio? You know, now she's getting involved. I guess you can, like I said, you can say that's a secondary, but it's not that much of a secondary when you have her, you know, someone on the outside looking in with the Statlander Nightmare Collective storyline. That's your big storyline right now. Where's your secondary? Where's your next one? Are you going to use Sadie Gibbs to help out Statlander and come up against the Nightmare Collective going forward? That, okay, cool. What do you get now in terms of a championship feud? Say Riho defeats Statlander. Then what? Who's your next contender? They haven't really built up anybody. Sakura's been on that title picture for weeks now. Lost a big swole, but still remains ranked. You know, think of it like college football. When Alabama lost the big game to Auburn. They dropped way down in the standings. Outside the top five, outside the top ten. If my memory serves me right, I think they ended the year outside the top ten. I could be wrong. But I know they weren't in the running for the college football playoff. I would like to see a little bit more from the women's division. 2020 should be on, that should be on their wish list for 2020. Make more storylines for the women. AEW Dark can kind of help that, but do a lot of people watch AEW Dark? No. I'd say about maybe 100,000 people at best watch AEW Dark, and I'm, I'm just spitballing. I would like to see a little bit more of that. 
from AEW's women's division. What I, one thing I would also like to see is the makings of a mid card title in 2020, but that's that's a whole other situation for another episode. The Butcher and the Blade losing in their second match in. This kind of... Now, positive side with Darby, Allen, and Cody. We're going to get Allen, Cody, too. Great. The Butcher and the Blade now lose in their second match in AEW. Now, to some, that is a negative. And I can point out the negative simply for the fact that they're only their second week in and they've already lost. In, in one could say that the Butcher and the Blade should have never lost to Darby Allen and Cody. But we knew and understood why they had Allen and Cody defeat the Butcher and the Blade. Does it is it a bad look for the Butcher and the Blade to lose second match in? Yeah. It does. Because it kind of makes them look a bit weak. In this, in this portion of it, I'm trying to play... I'm playing devil's advocate. It makes them look very weak. It makes the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny weak. Again, you can come up with that argument, well, it's only their second match in, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the point. When you're building up a team kind of don't want them to lose early on now if we're three months in and they lose shock shock loss kind of messes up the momentum then at that point you can kind you can kind of say okay shock loss fine with that as long as they look good in law in, in defeat fine with me introductions of new teams should always have good momentum like I said I understand why they did what they did with Darby Allen and Cody versus the Butcher and the Blade and having Allen and Cody win fine I do hope for the life of me that the Butcher and the Blade going forward do not lose another match until it is necessary for them to lose another match It doesn't. It, it does hurt the credibility, especially since they are MJF Hensman. And I would like to see a little bit more. I mean, some would say more inter, less interaction with MJF and the henchman and their hen, and his henchmen is a good thing. I kind of want to see a. Hopefully, in 2020, we get to see a bit more interaction with MJF, the Butcher, and the Blade. I think once we start going into AEW Revolution season, I need to see it. I need to see starting starting next year. I want to see that kind of collective mentality as they gun gun for Cody. I think it will come to a head when Allen and Cody do face each other. I think once we get to that match, I think that's where we'll see MJF Wardlow 
the blade, the butcher, come out and attack both men. And and that's going to be an interesting setup. But right now, I mean, for the moment, good to see them on their own. Going forward, I would like to see a little bit more cohesiveness with MJF and his henchmen. Especially if Cody MJF is the final stop. If they have that at Revolution, along the way, I kind of need to see that cohesiveness show up. That's kind of what we need from this. And that's kind of the gripe I have, you know? How does the butcher how do the butcher and the blade respond? Will they respond by destroying Cody again for a second time? Or will we just continue to see just them separate entities of each other, even though they kind of are a collective in a sense? That's something that needs to be addressed. Going into with Awesome Kong for a second, I kind of didn't really need to see anything with, with this match. I get that Awesome Kong, you know, can't really go for long. That's that's perfectly fine. But when I'm seeing Awesome Kong taking on Miranda Alize and beating her in less than a minute, what does it do for me? Okay, Awesome Kong won. Cool. But knowing that we read the report that Kong isn't really going to do many matches because of her being pretty much beat up over the years in the wrestling ring and of course her having children that kind of adds to that it kind of adds to the why did this need to happen it could have had something a little bit different um, that segment could have that time could have been better used for the Women's World Championship because another thing that I saw with the number one contenders match between Britt Baker and Chris Statlander, it kind of felt, it kind of ended too short for me. If it's going to be a number one contenders match, I kind of want to see the, kind of want to see the two people who want to face Rio go all out. And have it go at least a little bit longer than Baker and Statlander have. That's that's something I I kind of didn't I kind of wasn't feeling, you know that three to five minutes that they had with Kong's entrance, her coming into the ring, destroying Alize in a minute or so. That was that that portion of the program was not needed. Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard. Looking, still continuing to look for a teammate for Sean Spears. With the tag now, with the tag team situation that we have already in AEW, I've said time and time again, hands down, AEW has the best tag team division in all professional wrestling right now, at this very moment. But I think 
especially in 2020, the one thing I would want to have on my wish list is an introduction of a mid-card title. It's the same thing I say, I've said about NXT UK plenty of times. They need a Commonwealth Championship over in NXT UK. 2020, I, it's going to get to a point where you still have so much talent on that roster that some of them aren't being featured as much. Now, like I said, they do now outside when they're not on AEW programming, they are outside doing outside work. They are working for other promotions, doing other independent work. They, and that is a plus for them to allow other companies do it when they have storylines main going on and others are not involved. They're not just sitting there and catering like they do in WWE. They are out there doing outside work in other promotions, working in other promotions, having matches and what have you. It is going to get to a point where fans are going to want to pine for a mid-card title. Sean Spears, to me, doesn't need to find a tag team partner. That's kind of the biggest gripe that I had with that promo they cut last night. Dully Blanchard bringing up him and Arn Anderson when they just looked at each other. They knew exactly what the other person was thinking. This, that, and the third. I don't think Chris... I was going to say Chris, Chris uh, Spears... Sean Spears doesn't need a tag team partner. I think Sean Spears is better off on his own. Who are you going to find? Who is going to be that one person that Sean Spears is going to tag with and start gunning for the AEW World Tag Team Championships? You already have a loaded tag team division. Your division is loaded. SCU, Young Bucks, Santana and Ortiz, um, Lucha Bros, Jurassic Express, Dark Order, Beaver Boys, Butcher and the Blade. You already have more than enough talent in that division. Why have Sean Spears? get into the tag team division when you have more than enough talent for your tag team division to have absolute bangers of matches you can put any of those two teams you could, you could literally put Santana Ortiz and Jurassic Express on right now figure it out book it they'll murder it for 15-20 minutes without fail you put you give me Dark Order Young Bucks I'd be all for that because I know what Dark Order is capable of and I know what the Young Bucks are capable of. You give me SCU. You give me SCU and Santana and Ortiz. I know they're going to put in some damn good work. Private Party, another one. You give me Private Party versus Jurassic Express. I'd be all over that. You have more than enough talent for your tag team division to have those eight, nine tag teams you can insert any two teams there and sure enough you're going to have a wonderful tag team match 20 minutes worth and all and you know best friends as well the hybrid two you have more than enough talent on your roster in terms of the tag team division to have focus on why are you having Sean Spears, who was who before he became this tag team guy, 
working on his own. Now, yes, he has done tag team matches, six-man tags back at Fighter Fest, at Fight for the Fallen. I think Sean Spears is better off as a singles competitor with Tully Blanchard by his side, with Tully showing, you know, teaching him the ways of how he used to get down when he was in the Four Horsemen and bringing him up to prominence. When all is said and done, and now that AEW is going to take the next 13 days to get prepared for January 1st, there's a good amount of things that they can address in those 13 days, figure out, and kind of have an idea for what they're going to do for 2020. The one thing I always think back on with Chris was Chris Jericho. And how he stated, I already know what I'm gonna be doing for the remainder of through the remainder of through the first the through the month of January and throughout February. I know exactly what I'm gonna be doing. That's the one big positive they have on their side, is that they do things long term. They have long-term plans. What we are going to see going forward for that, for this tag team division, or for a certain talent going forward, is is on their side. They have that plus, they have that in their back pocket. They cannot mistake, they cannot make mistakes like some of the ones they did last night. They need to have a set plan. They need to already have their cards set. If, if AEW Revolution is literally two months away, Chris Jericho knows what he's going to be doing through February, through the end of February. The one thing, the biggest thing that AEW can do through these next two weeks, getting prepared for the, I guess, new new season or the next chapter of AEW Dynamite, is to focus on the card. Make, have that card and continue to look at that card every week. Have it on a big whiteboard. I got a whiteboard and I'm looking at it right now. Right next to my calendars. I said calendars multiple. I actually, got into, I actually need to buy a bigger one because I'm looking at my, cal- uh, my calendar. I kind of... Because Amazon makes... Never mind. I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole different story for another day. But I have my whiteboard. I have, you know, my days that, you know, you know, my bills, my NFC playoff picture for some reason. I mean, being, being a Seattle Seahawks fan, I kind of want to focus on the playoff picture. And then my days, the days of the, you know, the next seven days, and what I'm going to be doing for those next seven days in terms of gym, work, podcasting, all that, what have you. I think they need a huge whiteboard, right? AEW Revolution at every match they're going to have on the card and build towards that. Now, the one we know about, the one match we do know about is Jericho and Moxie for the AEW World Title at Revolution. That should be the top thing on their list. Now they have to start, now if they have every other match built going forward, they need to start building towards that. They need to start building towards this card. Your main focus from January 1st until the end of February is to get to, is to how do we get to this card 
and get to the matches that we're going to have on said card. How do we get there? The long-term planning is on their side. They have that in, they have that big, that's their, that's their big joker. That's the ace in the hole for them. They plan long-term. They've done, they did it well with full gear. And I have no doubt they're going to have, they're going to do it well with AEW Revolution. It's all in the, it's all in how they're going to execute now. At this point, they're in a down period. Right now, they are, they, their stock is kind of down right now. Especially after taking a hundred thousand, hundred k loss, in terms of viewership rating wise, it's on AEW now to figure out a way to get from January first to the end of February and make it fun along the way. Along the way, we're gonna have some stumbles. We'll address them when we get there. But again, their biggest ace in the hole is their long-term planning. And if they can execute what they want to do for Revolution for two months, come Revolution, I think we'll have a fantastic pay-per-view and along the way, a kick-ass build to match. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Love, Hate, AEW Dynamite. As always, we're going to finish this episode in proper YLP fashion and get you ready for episode 147 of the Young Lions Perspective when we get when we talk about Love Hate NXT. We're gonna take a short break. Stick around. We'll be right back. guys that's gonna be it for episode 146 of the young lions perspective as always i want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day your night your afternoon and your evening wherever you may be wherever you are in the world thank you guys so much for taking out this episode of the podcast and as always i greatly and truly appreciate it if you have any thoughts opinions ideas for shows or if you just want to talk all kinds of random shit hit me up with a voice message anchor.fm slash young lions perspective put out put it out there sound off of what you are thinking about this week's episodes what you thought about the probably one of the worst episodes of raw in 2019 and it can only get worse from there your thoughts on smackdown your thoughts on aew nxt from last night any opinions you may have Leave a voice message, and if I like it enough, I will not hesitate to feature it on a future episode of the Young Lions Perspective Podcast. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, do not hesitate to tell a friend to tell a friend about the Young Lions Perspective. Share this episode across all of your social media, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Twitters, especially now that we're less than two weeks away from the beginning of, of course, 2020. And y'all know what that means, of course, Christmas and uh new year's eve and all that good stuff but you're gonna you're gonna be getting of course top 10 matches of 2019 that's gonna be coming soon top 10 honorable mentions of 2019 that's gonna be coming soon you're gonna be looking at the ylp year end awards that's gonna be coming soon you are going to get on january 6th the good the bad and the ugly that was wrestle kingdom 14 on the 13th of january the good the bad and the ugly that was take over blackpool nxt uk 
TakeOver Blackpool was going to be something special, and I have a good feeling about this, and I really need to catch up on my NXT UK before we get to that point. Of course, you also are going to be getting the good, the bad, and the ugly that was the Royal Rumble, January 27th, two days before mine and my twin sister's birthday, so that's going to be always a good occasion. Yes, Marley, you can come on. Come on. Yes, you're going to get in here. Come on. Come on. You want up? You want up? Come on. Good girl. And, of course, she likes to get in on your obligatory Marley moment of the show. Anyways, but we're also going to be getting, I'm almost going to be giving you the good, the bad, and the ugly that was Elimination Chamber coming in February, as well as the good, the bad, and the ugly that was AEW Revolution. So we got a lot of big stuff coming up in 2020. So you need to tell a friend to tell a friend. And you can tell everybody on your social media that the Young Lions Perspective is your alternative professional wrestling podcast and that we are here to stay. Now, if you do not happen to have the Anchor app, and I'm not going to be mad at you for doing so, there's a million podcasting platforms out there and everybody's got their certain favorite. But if you do not have the Anchor app, you can still find this podcast across several different platforms. And surprisingly, I actually found two new ones that came literally out of nowhere. So joining the YLP distribution machine, it is going to be a podcast addict and player FM. So we want to, of course, welcome them to the YLP distribution machine. Welcome them with open arms. If you have that. And I've seen that a a few of y'all have been checking that out throughout the year. So appreciate that good love right there, but you can still find this podcast. Of course, these other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Overcast, Castbox FM, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, and of course, that good old Spotify fam. Search for the Young Lions perspective across all these different platforms. You should have no problem finding it whatsoever. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the YLP podcast, you can follow me, of course, on my Twitter. That's Suede Senator WWI. That's S U E D E S C N A T O R capital W capital W capital I. Y'all know the deal. I do live tweeting for AEW SmackDown Live because y'all know Raw is straight booty. And we don't do that here and we don't talk about Raw at all on this podcast unless we make fun of them for their shitty ratings. We also talk, do live tweeting. For every AEW live pay-per-view, every WWE live pay-per-view, and every NXT takeover. And on the rare occasion that I am up at 3 o'clock in the morning for nothing else other than probably go to the bathroom. And New Japan just happens to be on just randomly. I do live tweeting for NJPW as well. It's rare, but it does happen. But y'all are probably sleeping. It is what it is. You can also find me on the mothership of everything that is YLP on my Instagram at young underscore lions underscore perspective. Follow me on both of those platforms to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions Perspective podcast. So NXT went down last night and from what I heard, it was a banger of a show. Of course, they got almost 800,000 people to check out the episode last night and we will be talking about what I loved and what I hated about NXT from last night. It, I have still, unfortunately, have not checked out last night's episode. I did see 
the Rhea Ripley-Sheena Baszler match. Not in full, but I did get to see a little bit of the ending and from what I saw from that. And if the rest of the show is what I think it is, it is going to be an absolute banger of a show. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow evening to kick off your weekend and get you primed and ready for the weekend in proper YLP fashion. So, guys, until tomorrow night, enjoy the rest of your evening. Unfortunately, there is no football. Thursday night football ended last week with the destruction of the Baltimore Ravens, destroying the New York Jets 42-21. So, until tomorrow, guys, enjoy the rest of your night. And I'll see you right back here for episode 147 of the Young Lions Perspective. See ya!